So what are you doing with your life today? What are you doing with your life? If somebody asked you that question, how would you respond? How would you answer that? And here's the real truth. There are three things that we do with our life every day. Three things that we do with our time, with our resources, with our relationships, with our finances. First one is we spend it or pay it. We spend time at work. We spend money on our bills. We pay our house note, our car note. We all have to spend our time and our resources in some manner that we don't have a a whole lot of options about. They're necessary. And everyone has to do it. But then with the time and the resources that we're not required to spend, what are we doing with that? We're doing one of two things. We're either wasting it or we're investing it. We're either wasting it or we're investing it. Now, let's talk for just a moment about wasting. And and I want to use the illustration. It may sound a little legalistic, but so be it. So what is the difference between wasting and investing? How do I know when I'm wasting something as opposed to just spending it? Well, any time that I spend money or time or relationship capital on something that doesn't bring value or any return or enough return, okay? So, for example, sometimes I like to go to the movie with my family. And so, uh, typically what we'll do is we'll try to go at the cheap time. My kids think I'm ridiculously cheap. We'll try to go at the cheap time. And then uh, I I tell our kids, if you want something to drink, let's go buy and uh, get something at the grocery store or the drugstore before we go. Because I don't want to buy that $10 popcorn and that $8 Coke and those $5 candy bars. Why would you do that? So, typically that's what we'll do because... I personally find it a waste to do otherwise. And all of a sudden, your $40 family movie turns into a $90 movie if you're not careful. Okay? So nothing wrong with going to the movies. Um, I'll give you another one I think is a waste. And again, you, some of you won't like this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think, quite frankly, when you buy lottery tickets, it's a waste. Because there's more chance of you getting struck by lightning twice then you win in the big jackpot. Go look it up, okay? And I know you might win 2 or $3, but then you're going to buy 10 more, hoping you'll win two more. So you don't get a value in return, therefore it is a waste, okay? So we all waste our time or waste our resources. Sometimes we waste our time doing things that are important when we should be doing things that are important. And we're all guilty of that. But to be aware, because that turns in, that is an investment. That's an t- opportunity to invest in our family, in our relationships, <clears throat> in uh, opportunities that God gives us. Number three, investing. What does it mean to invest? <clears throat> well, investing is in something that does have a return. So when you invest in your family, when you invest in your relationships, when you invest in your neighborhood, when you invest in people's lives who don't know Christ or people who are struck, those are investments. And that's what God has called us to do. We have to spend part of our life and part of our resources, but it's up to us with the remainder, do we waste it or do we invest it? So I ask you today, What are you doing with your life? 
Are you wasting it? Are you investing it? I want us to look in just a moment at a story that Jesus tells a parable, and it's by far and away, by most scholars would say, this is the most difficult parable, the most difficult teaching that he gives, and it's hard because we're going to look in Luke chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. Um, This guy is called to be a financial planner, a financial manager of another man's estate. So he's the COO and CFO of this estate. And the, the message here is that we are to see ourselves as God's CFO, as God's money and resource manager of all that he's given to us. The life that he's given to us, we are the managers of that life, that gift that he has given us. And that's the picture that he's giving to us here now. Now, as we look at this story, and as we consider it, um, recognize that that principle that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when you look at these parables, Jesus often uses this greater or lesser than. What do I mean by that? Look, even people who are lesser than, even people who don't know me, even people who don't live by my values and by my kingdom, um, even we can learn a lesson that even they know certain principles is what he's saying. And you'll see people who are not in any way seeking to follow God, uh, just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, Matter of fact, there's the illustration of the unrighteous judge and the widow keeps coming to him. But we know because of honor, because she continues to ask him, he finally does what's right. So it's the greater lesson. He's not saying that he's a dishonest judge. Neither is God saying, hey, I'm a, uh, I'm a wealthy, rich steward here who, uh, who only cares about money. That's not what he's saying here at all. And he's not advocating that we take advantage of someone regardless of how much money they have. With that said, let's look at the parable and let's see what we can glean and what we can learn from this passage, beginning with Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 13. Now, we won't turn there, but in Luke chapter 15, before he starts these parables, Jesus says, uh, he's talking to the the Pharisees and the scribes, and he's trying to teach them some blessing. He's trying to pierce their heart. And then we pick up here in chapter 16, verse 1, and he said to the disciples, he's speaking to the disciples here, there was a rich man, excuse me, who had a manager, his CFO and his COO. He's in charge of his estate. He's in charge of making money for him and making sure all his bills are paid. And his charges were brought to him that he was wasting his possessions. Now, we hear a lot about this today, don't we? Uh, There's a guy named Alan Stanford who was born and raised here in Texas who became a billionaire and had the Stanford Financial Company and found out that he had been defrauding and and uh, ripping off his clients to the tune of $7 billion. Pretty amazing. We all heard the story of Bernie Madoff, who uh, the largest fraud in the history of the world that we know of at this point, it was $65 billion were defrauded from charities and from people's retirements and their investments. And we, get, we hear that story and we get so mad, we go, that was my money! And that's what makes us mad because you are supposed to take a little commission. You're supposed to make some money here, but I'm supposed to be, and you've taken it, and you've taken advantage of me, and you've not used the money as I have entrusted it to you. And that's the picture right there that God's trying to give to us with our whole entire life. It's not yours. 
It's his. Your life is owned by God. And when we get, grasp that concept, it releases a lot of tension and a lot of frustration. But as long as we think it's mine, it angers us when things don't go right or something happens. And so as we look at this parable, Jesus is teaching that. And he's saying, look, the life I've given you, the resources I've given you, are you investing them or are you wasting them? He uses that very word right here. And he charges them. He brought the man who was wasting his possessions. So recognize, they're not the steward. They're not the money manager's possessions. They're the owner. They're, they're, they're the man's here that's talking about. He, they don't own it, but you've been given charge of it to manage it. And he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be a manager. He goes, you have been unworthy. You have been unfaithful. You have been wasteful. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking the management away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. So what are you going to do now? And what does he do? What he does is he begins to invest. He's been wasting, but now he's going to take the final opportunity that he has, and he's going to invest it. And let's see how he invests it. It says, I've decided what to do. So when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So he summoned his master's debtors one by one, and he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down and quickly write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. Take your bill and write down 80. Now, I know it gets real difficult. We're going, it's not his money, and he's going back, and he's doing it again. And we don't exactly understand uh, what's going on, but many scholars and commentators will say, um, because he was the commissioner, because he was in charge of collecting on the debts, he could build in his own commission there. We know Zacchaeus did that with taxes. We know the tax collectors typically did that. And so he probably had some pretty exorbitant fees in there. And so what he's probably doing is he's taking his commission, his fees out, and he's getting the master's money. But even if he's not doing that, what he is doing is he's getting now payment. We can tell that no payment has been given at this point, and now he's getting payment for it. And so the Bible says, remember, the greater or lesser than principle. And he says this, and so the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, that, that's the hard verse right there. He's commended for his dis, the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Now, he's been dishonest up to this point. We don't know if this act was dishonest. It probably isn't because he's commending him. He's already got the reputation for having been dishonest. But he said, for your shrewdness for your wisdom and how to handle this situation. With the last opportunity that you had, what did you do? You invested. He invested in relationship. He invested in the future. That's what he did. He took it. Instead of just trying to grab the last bit he could and, and not have any place to go, he invested. So God, Jesus is painting a picture for the kingdom, the importance of investing in his kingdom as opposed to our simple life and our simple riches and the things that we want. He's saying, in, he's talking about investment here. And so he says, and I tell you, my friends, <clears throat> for you, or excuse me, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the generation, than the sons of light. 
So what is he talking about? He's talking about, all right, there are those of you who believe that I am the Christ. You believe that I am the Messiah, and I've come to preach this message. And you believe that I've been sent here by God. And you are trusting me as the Messiah, Savior. <clears throat> and you believe that, but you're not being wise with the opportunities that you're being given. You're not investing in the kingdom. You're not investing in relationships that will be eternal. But here's someone who's taking, who doesn't believe that, who doesn't have a future or a hope and doesn't believe that, but he's making provisions in his own world, in his own way. And so he's using the vice versa example here. And he says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of unrighteous wealth. Now, he is not suggesting that you make your money unrighteously. He's using it in this particular framework from this particular guy. How did he get it? How did he use it? And so he's saying, so that when it fails, and he's saying it is going to fail. Hey, guess what, Bernie Madoff? Guess what, Alan? Eventually it fails at some point. Even if it doesn't, at the end of life, we give an account before the judgment of God. He said, when it does fail, that you will uh, receive into eternal dwellings. He's saying, take the opportunities, the resources, the influence, the finances, and invest that into relationships that are eternal with people who don't know Christ or people who need encouragement, who need strength, for organizations who are making a difference. That's what he's talking about here. One who is faithful with very little is also faithful in much. And one who's dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. You may be saying, you know, I would give and I would budget if I just had more. No, you probably wouldn't. That's what he's saying right there. When you don't budget, when you don't when you're not financially responsible for with a little, when you don't give a little, then you don't do it with much. It's a principle of life. And we're going to talk about that in a few moments, practically how we can do that. Then he said, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? If you've not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can serve God with your money, but you can't simply serve your money and love God. That's a biblical principle. So what principles, what does it look like for us to be investing in the kingdom of God? What does it look like to have a kingdom mindset in regards to the life that God has given us. And I want to give you eight principles from Scripture. All of these are straight out of Scripture. And then we're going to look at some practical ways we can implement that. Number one, honor God. Honor God. To manage our life correctly and to be a wise investor, we have to honor God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell there within. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first produce, first fruits of all your produce. Everything is owned by God. Your life, God. You may think, I've earned it. I've worked hard. I don't know how much God's had to do it because I didn't grow up with much. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I, I got my education and I worked hard and everything I've got, I've worked for. So God hadn't given me anything. Oh, really? Let me tell you something at least he's given you. He gave you life and he gave you life inside the United States of America. And even in a, and if you're here, you're in a pretty decent area of the United States of America where there's a lot of opportunity. Suppose you had the same work ethic and the same mindset that you have right now, and you were born in the 14th century in Tibet. 
How do you think far do you think that'd take you? Think you'd have the house you have now? Think you'd have the job I have? It? I promise you wouldn't. What if you were born uh, in the 16th or 17th or 18th century into slavery? What if you worked really hard? You think you'd make your way out of it? No. You've been blessed to be born into a period, into a place, and into opportunity. And that is all by God's design that he has blessed you with. So even your opportunity to earn has been given to you by God. And he says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. There's the principle. I was reading an article this week. It said that 91% of people in the United States of America say, you know, say, if I just had 10% more, I'd be okay. If I can just get 10% more, that's what I need. If I can just get to that 10% more, I'll be fine, regardless of what their income was. Everybody wants 10% more. That's where they are. 91% of people. 9% of people said, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm great, or I need a whole lot more than 10%, okay? But most people, if I could just have 10% more, then I'd be okay. That's where I need to be, just if I could just make 10%. I think it's interesting that, that that 10% is what came out in surveys. And I think that's interesting. That's exactly what a tithe is. Jesus talks about here, or God talks about here in Proverbs, your first fruits, the first part of what you earn, giving unto him. It's a principle. It's a spiritual principle. It's an investment into the kingdom. And also it's an investment into your spiritual life. Number two, the second principle is live with integrity. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. How many of you would want to trade places with Bernie Madoff or Alan Stanford today? Virtually nobody, if you're wise, you wouldn't, because they're in prison, and their name has been shattered. But they had billions and billions of dollars. But at the end, at the end of their life, I guarantee you, every one of them would trade places with you integrity. It's not worth your integrity. It's not worth who you are and who God has made you to be. Your good name is to be chosen. So don't cheat those who work with you or those who work for you. Your good name is much more valuable, and in the end, it will cost you far more than you ever intended. Number three, earn your living. Proverbs thirteen eleven says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Thomas Jefferson said it this way, never spend money before you have it. Here's the reality. Um, so many times we live, we live in a culture, somebody, but we just want to get rich quick. That's why the lottery is so important. Hey, I can win it, and then I can do what I want. I can do lots of great things, but here's the truth. I remember a couple of years ago, we had people up on stage who were uh, all, all had taught financial classes and been very responsible with their finances and were in great shape financially. And so I interviewed all of them, and I thought it was very interesting. I, I didn't find a one of them that had ever done this. I asked each one of them, and again, they were all doing very well, had done very well financially. I said, have you ever invested in something that you thought you would get rich quick from? It was funny. All four of them said no, never had, as opposed to other people. who thought in, in the late 90s and the early 2000s it would be a good idea to put all my money in high-tech stocks, okay, in the dot-com movement. Because I was thinking, you know what, if I get this, and then I won't even have to take a salary from the church, and I'll just be set for life. i tell you what I was set for. I was set to not have any money anymore. That's what I was set for. 
Most of you, almost no one could stand up and go, you know, I did, a, I did one of those get-rich-quick things. It worked for me. Almost nobody could raise their hand. But I don't want to embarrass us, but most of us could say, you know, I, I did some stupid stuff. You know why? That's not because biblically God doesn't even want you to do that. Did you know that? It's not his goal for you to win it all. That's not his goal. Earn it. And systematically, as you begin to earn it and put it away, you will have more and you can do more. And as you earn it, you will be more responsible. You know what? When you win it all, and you've seen all the statistics. I was reading them. I'm not going to get into them. About people who've had billions of dollars. You know, Mike Tyson, who made over $400 million filing bankruptcy. I was reading through all these people, and, and they said, you know, what was really hard was everyday life just wasn't enough. There was nothing that I really enjoyed. So I had to spend more and more and more trying to find that feeling, so to speak. That's why the Bible says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. By the way, I was reading an article by Mark Cuban and by um, uh, uh, O'Leary on the Shark Tank. They're both billionaires. And they would ask, give us a couple of tips on the best way to become a millionaire. What are some things that the average person could do right now? And they said, well, there's still principles that we live by. They both said, uh, don't use a credit card unless you have to. And if you do, don't carry a debt on it. Don't ever pay interest on a credit card. Number one thing. If you do have interest, at least try to get to a lower interest card if you can. So number one thing. So especially you teenagers and people who are going to be adult, hey, when you use that card, only put on there what you already have money to pay off. Number two, thought this was interesting. They both drink water. We never order drinks when we go to a restaurant. We always get water. We never order drinks. We get it. Now, we may have drinks at home, but we never, we never do it at restaurants because of, of the markup. This is, these guys are billionaires. I thought that was interesting. And matter of fact, o- O'Leary said this. He said, I never buy coffee. He said, I only, only get drink coffee at home or at office that we make. He said, I can make it for about 20 cents. Why would I pay four bucks for it? You know what I mean? And so I thought that was interesting. Both of them said the same thing. Don't get mad at me. These are the billionaires, all right? <laughs> the third one. They said that I thought was interesting. They said, take the money that you would have spent on those two things and begin to invest it into a low-cost mutual fund. Now, that's completely secular advice, but those are biblical principles. Did you know that? So you don't spend money that you don't have to spend. When you have an option that's free or a lot cheaper, use it. And number three, take the money that you would have spent in those luxuries and invest it. He said, that's how you do it. And he figured out, he said, for most people, that'd be about $1,500 a year, uh, Put it in a mutual fund recently, won't be, usually won't be this, but it would be earning 10 to 15% of, of recent, and you keep doing that year over year and see where you are. And that's just from not drinking coffee or drinking water or drinking coffee at home. Nevertheless, continuing, um, next one, manage your resources wisely. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds, according to Proverbs 27.3. In other words, manage your life. Know what you're what your bills are, know how much it costs, and know what you owe. Number four, A, B, C, D, E. Number four, beware of greed and covetousness. The Bible says in Luke 12, 15, and he said to them, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of possessions. Um, Here's the truth. Your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. Your yearnings will always exceed your earnings. You're always going to want more. You're always going to want something more, but you have to discipline yourself. 
one of the greatest lines I've ever heard uh, Dave Ramsey give was this. If you don't tell your money what to do, it'll leave. <laughs> if you don't tell your resources what to do, it'll leave. If you have no plan, if you have no action, then it'll just leave. It'll just go away. And you go, what happened to that? Where did it all go? Because there was no plan. Beware of greed, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Next, financial planning, Luke 14, 28 through 30. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he, is sit, when he has laid a foundation and not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Have a plan. Have a plan. Again, tell your money where to go or it will leave. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from money and be content, free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Learn to be thankful for what you do have. Learn to be content without having to get that car or without having to get that outfit or dress, whatever it is that you can't afford right now. Don't spend it till you have it. And then ask yourself, do I need it? If I get this, what difference will it make? If I don't get this, what will be the difference? So what's the difference between waste and invest? Again, the return. What is the return? Is it a return of value? Or is there no return or little return at all? And then lastly, Matthew six twenty one. Remember, your heart follows your spending. Your heart follows your spending. The Bible tells you in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What it doesn't say is where your heart is, your treasure will be. It's not what it says. It says where your treasure is, your heart will. What you're investing is, your heart will follow. Let me give you an example. Suppose you left here and you said, you know what? I think Apple is a great stock. I'm going to invest the majority of my savings in Apple. You know what you would do? You would pay attention to Apple. You would read it. You would look and see how's Apple doing today? How's Apple doing this week? There are announcements about Apple. You want to hear about them? And your heart naturally follows. Same thing when you begin to give to an organization or the church. You want to know. You want to be a part. You want to know what's going on. Our heart follows what we spend our money on, what we spend our resources on. That's why the Bible says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then these things shall be added unto you. So what do we do practically? What can we do practically? Well, we're going to offer a class in April to help you practically with your finances. But I wanted to give you some practical information from the guy who's going to teach that right now. His name is Bradley Vinson, and he's a member of our church and he and his wife, Anita, do financial planning and consulting. That's not their job for a living, but they do that voluntarily, and they teach. And he's, he's written a great course and a great book that I, I would strongly encourage you to, get a part, to have access to and to consider if you, if you need help financially. If you're wondering, where's my money keep going? I strongly want to encourage you to consider Bradley's class. Bradley, if you would come. Good morning, church. 
And I thank you, Pastor Ron, for laying a biblical foundation for our financial home. Because we all know when you're trying to build something substantial, you need a strong foundation. Am I right? But I'll, I will reiterate this. This is not about money. Because the more my wife and I study and coach families, we realize it's about behavior. And you have to keep the main thing the main thing, as we call it. Giving your life to Christ and honoring him by serving and loving his people. Okay? But this money thing is important because it can influence how you can serve the kingdom. So we'll look back at some of the things that Pastor Ron was saying and give some biblical steps. He gave the biblical. I give some practical steps to make those things work. Because here's one thing that we have learned and we know for sure. We're confident in this. Broken people can do anything. Because we're all broken at some level. We're always on a potter's wheel. But broke people can't do much at all. So we have to know how to manage our money, okay? So looking at the foundational truths given by Pastor Ron, I have some practical steps you can use simply. No Excel spreadsheets, no big book, no big instructions. Just with paper and pen to help us manage the master's resources properly so he can give us more, all right? And so... Pastor Ron mentioned earning a living. Now, this can be a detriment as well as a blessing because many of us earn enough to live off of, but we're living beyond our earnings. Because part of our business that we do when we coach people, to a person that we ask this question, they'll say, if I had a little more money, my financial situation would be better. But once we dig a little bit deeper, we see the real truth. Most of us will celebrate a $500 raise with a $600 car note. So this is due to our lack of knowledge about what we really earn and what we really owe. And so we'll keep following Pastor Ron's footsteps here, and we're going to managing our resources shrewdly. So let's ask ourselves, do we really know what our resources are? And if we're honest, we don't. Because if we did, we would not be in the financial situation we find ourselves in. And so take that piece of paper and pen that I mentioned earlier, those simple tools, and do this. We have to figure out what we own and owe. So get a sheet of paper, draw a line down the middle. On the left-hand side, write, I own. On the right-hand side, write, I owe. On the left, write down everything that you own, that you're not paying a note on meaning you actually own it. Don't write down the value of your car if you're still paying a car note. Got me? All right. On the other side, write down I owe, all the things you owe people for. When you subtract the I owe from the I own, that's your net worth. If it's negative, you have issues, but they can be worked on. If it's positive, good, keep it going. But that's just a simple fact that we have to understand. A lot of us don't even know what our resources are, so how can you be a better manager of them when you don't know what they are? Everybody with me? The next thing is practical financial planning. And when a lot of us hear this, we think about the big, bad budget. But it's not that complicated. My wife and I tell people the way they can figure this out is by developing and creating a spending record. Take another sheet of paper and a pen. Now, this will take a little bit longer. Over the course of two or three weeks, you write down everything you spend on that paper. Everything? Everything you spend. Every red cent. This will help with two things. 
It'll show your behavior, and it'll show potential waste. Because what typically happens in our behavior, we'll do things unconsciously. So say you play golf five days a week, and then every month you're $200 short, but you're spending $250 on golf. That's a behavior you're kind of ignoring. It's just something that I do. And for the ladies, some ladies, if you go shopping every weekend at a sale, you're not saving $50. You just spent $40. And this sheet will help you do that, figuring out what your financial behavior is. Now, here's one that's a biggie. Be content. Now, I want to show you something here. It's actually a little graphic, and we use this to explain to people finances. It's extremely simple, but it has a lot of impact if you pay attention to it. So first, imagine a wavy line going across. Now, think about a straight line above the wavy line. Now, that wavy line is God's provisions. They change throughout life, depending on our, where we are in life, what we need at the time. That line above the wavy line is our lifestyle. That's us telling God that his provisions are not enough and we want or need more. That's us saying we're going to live by our standard versus what God has decided for us. This is the person that sees an empty spot in their garage and decides to fill it with a boat. Because I need a boat. This is the person that has an empty spot in their closet and decides just to fill it with clothes. I need more closet space and things like that. Now, a little tidbit here to put a pin on. The average American family, 70% of them are living paycheck to paycheck. Now, if you have a gate around your community or considered a high earner, 80% of those people live in paycheck to paycheck. So it doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter what provisions God gives you if you're trying to live above them. So what my wife and I want to help you do is move that lifestyle line under God's provisions. So in April, we're going to have a four-week class called Master Your Money, being a better manager of the master's resources. And we're going to give you practical tools that my wife and I have used to be debt-free that has helped us live out our kingdom purpose. It's a four-week class. It's $50, and it has all the materials you need, including homework and individualized attention from us because we want to help you live out your kingdom purpose, and it is possible if you manage the master's resources properly. You with me? Be blessed. Thank you all. See you in April. Thank you, Bradley, and do encourage you, if you want to, you can take out the Connect card today, tonight, uh, this morning, and just fill it out and say, I'd like to be a part of that financial class, and give us your name and info, and we'll, we'll get you signed up and, and uh, save a spot for you. So if you'd like to do that, if that's something you like or need, I want to encourage you to do that. <clears throat> so as we come to this time, uh, as we conclude, I want to ask you that question again. What are you doing with your life? Are you spending, of course, you have to spend part of it, but are you wasting or investing? What are you investing in? 
Uh, many of you, before you came in uh, to this class or to this service, you invested in the lives of our children and of our students. Thank you. Thank you for taking part of your time and investing. Matter of fact, last hour we had a young lady that was baptized and uh, one of her student, student ministry small group leaders. I asked her why you're here and she shared with me because of the investment, because she pulled me back in and because of the investment that she placed in my life. That's what he's talking about when you're making eternal investments. Welcome people into the eternal dwellings. Where are you investing your life? We have plenty of opportunities in children and student ministry. We have plenty of missions that we're involved with. Ask yourself, where am I investing my life? Where am I investing my time? When you get to the end of your life, let me tell you something. This is what's going to happen. One day, um, they're going to have a funeral for you. And somebody's going to get up and say some words. And then they're going to take you, they're going to put you in a, in a box, and they're going to put you in the ground, throw dirt over it, and then everybody's going to go back home and eat potato salad. All right? So that, that's what happens. That's the end. And it won't matter at that point how much money you had. Nobody will care what your car was. Nobody will care what your house. The only thing that matters is what have you invested in? Who did you invest in? How did you invest in the kingdom? Who are you going to see in eternity? And where are you going to spend eternity? And what difference did you make in this test we call life? Are you wasting it? Are you investing it? Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ and you're just living life just as you go. I want to encourage you to take advantage of the investment that God Almighty made in you through the person of Jesus Christ. As he lived the life that you should have lived and died the death that you should have died and offer salvation by grace, you can have it if you'll place your faith and trust in him. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that. Maybe you're here this morning, you're a believer, but you find yourself just spending your life and wasting your life. <clears throat> Would you commit today? This is a great, beautiful time as we begin Lenten season to say, you know what? I want to invest my life. I want to invest in my relationship with God. I want to commit to begin to spend time 20 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day, whatever you're going to do. And I will um, only drink coffee that I make at home or that's made at the office. I will use those resources to invest in somebody's life or to invest in the kingdom. You can begin today. You're not here by accident or coincidence. God is speaking today. I want to invite you to take the next step. And maybe that's to believe that Christ is Savior. Maybe that's to become and you're going to invest in your spiritual life and begin to uh, invest time each week, maybe through a class or through a service. Maybe that's to belong. Maybe it's time to belong here and it's time to belong to a group or to belong to a service opportunity. Or maybe it's time to just get beyond this world or this, these walls, in this community. As God calls you into missions, whatever he's calling you to do, I want to invite you to take the next step. Father, thank you for this time. May your name be praised.